Hey, good morning. Thank you for joining us for a recent sermon from Harvest Baptist Church. I'm Mark Likens. I'm the lead pastor here at Harvest. We're a Bible-believing, gospel-centered, grace-driven church family right here in Natrona Heights, Pennsylvania. And if you'd like to learn more about our ministry, you can visit us on Facebook or at harvestbaptist.info. Now, I hope you enjoyed today's sermon. It's my prayer that this will encourage and equip you in your relationship with God. Reminder that it is a joy, right? It is a, it is a fellowship. It is a priceless gift to be able to have fellowship with God. And Christians should be able to celebrate that and enjoy that and sing it with a smile. Well, 1 John chapter 5 is where we're at. If you are new with us today, let me tell you, I won't review the whole book of 1 John, but we have piece by piece worked through this book of the Bible. We have covered 98 verses already, and we're at the very end of this book. I'm not going to review it because it would take way too long, and what we have today really can stand on its own, but it's our habit to do that. We'll do that with Revelation here in a couple weeks, just little by little by little, and today we have this little three-verse chunk of Scripture that is 1 John 5, verses 11, 12, and 13. And this is, in my estimation, one of the greatest summaries of Christianity that you could find. And the, the text centers on the idea of eternal life. You're going to see eternal life and life pop up five different times over the span of three different verses. And I want you to read it with me. So look at 1 John 5. Verse 11, we read this together so you think that I'm not making it up, right? Um, this is, it's not my words, but here they are. Verse 11, this is the record that God has given unto us eternal, what's the next word, church? Life. And this, what's the next word? Is in his son. He that hath the son hath what? And he that hath not the son of God hath not? You're catching on. You're very good. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal, last time, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Now I want to answer three questions this morning. Question one, what is eternal life? So this is talking about eternal life and eternal life. What is that? Number two, how can I get it? And number three, can I know for sure that I have it? If I do get it, can I, can I know for sure that I have it? So here we go, what is eternal life? Eternal life is a little bit of a complicated thing to explain from the Bible because there's so much contained in that one phrase. You could simply put it as heaven, but that would honestly be an oversimplification of what it means. It doesn't mean less than heaven, but it means more than heaven. So eternal life really has kind of three components biblically. Component number one is it's talking about a new dimension of life. Now, you'll have to hang with me for a minute. You'll have to put your brain in gear, but I think that we'll all get there if we can uh, put the brain in gear. It talks about a new dimension of life. There are different dimensions of life. So, for example, there is life that exists in the flora, in the vegetation. There is life that exists in the fauna, in the animal kingdom. And there's also life that exists uh, for humans. And these are different dimensions. So a carrot that is growing in your garden, although they're tough to grow in Western PA, is best my wife can tell. She's tried a few times, and we can't get big ones. They're always little. But that carrot has life right? There is vitality in that carrot. It is a living thing. But it does not have the same dimension of life that an animal would have or the uh, fauna kingdom would have. It does not have generally senses. 
Now, some plants can sense heat or sense light, and they can bend towards that light, but plants really don't hear or smell or feel or touch like an animal can, right? An animal life is a different dimension of life where they can begin to cognate, they can begin to smell and hear or see or maybe all of them combined. They can begin to emote on some level. They can even begin to pick up on things. So if you were maybe angry at your dog and you raise your voice, that dog may cower or shrink back. Whereas if you spoke softly, your dog may come and want to be by you, right? Because that animal begins to process in a way that the, that the flora can't. There are realities of life that the animals know and enjoy and live by that a tomato never will, right? Raise your hand at the tomato and yell at it all you want. It's not going to do anything. Contrary to some of you plant ladies who talk to your plants and coddle your plants and soothe your plants. You know who I'm talking to. And and you whisper to them as, as you water them. They don't hear you. It does nothing for them at all. They're different than an animal, right? But humans enjoy realities that exist that the animal kingdom does not enjoy. A bear, as smart as it may be, does not have a sense of right and wrong. Polar bears, if they're hungry enough in the winter, they will eat their young. A polar bear has never, one month after eating their young, sat down and thought, hmm, I wonder if I should have done that. I got some regret. Maybe next time I'll take a different approach. A polar bear is not traumatized by this. It doesn't happen. Because moral compass and a sense of right and wrong is something that humans possess, right? There's this reality that exists that we can pick up on and live by that they can't. We can look at a sunset and its beauty, but a cow in the pasture never looked at the sunset and thought to itself, gorgeous. Come over here, guys. Check this out. It's fantastic. It's beautiful. It doesn't happen, right? Because there's another dimension of life that exists for us as humans. And sadly, this is debated nowadays. I actually uh, read an article this week that was published uh, last year by BBC's Science Focus that tackled the question that apparently everyone is asking, are humans animals? Are we different? And their conclusion was, Of course, humans are animals, exclamation point. We're composed of cells with genetic material, and we move around, and we seek energy to feed our bodies. We look at a lot like our fellow primates with our five-digit hands and feet and our thoughtful eyes and our lean, muscular physiques. So yes, humans are animals. No, humans are different than animals. A human is not an animal, just like an animal is not a plant. They're different. I've told you this before, but it bears repeating. We're different than the animal kingdom because of rationality. We want to know. We want to study things. We want to figure things out. We want to break it down. We want to tear it apart. We want to solve and read and learn. We're different because of our personality. We want to love. We don't want to be alone. We want community. We want someone to love us, to see us to the bottom and love us to the top. We are different because of eternality. We want to last We think about death. We think about, is there life after death? We struggle with these things. We want our legacy to live on. We're different because of creativity. A bird may make a nest or a beaver may make a dam, but 
There is not creativity that exists in the animal kingdom like it exists in us. There are realities that exist to humans that an animal cannot sense or pick up on or be guided by, right? That's true. But the reason I'm bringing this to you is because when you talk about eternal life, it's talking about another dimension that exists for those that have eternal life and humans that, that don't have it are not guided by it and would even struggle to pick up on it. It's called spiritual life. The, the biblical concept of this is that if you do not have eternal life, you are spiritually dead, but if you have eternal life, you are made alive and you can begin to discern things through a spiritual lens that is there and is real even if someone doesn't pick up on it or doesn't want to act like it is. So for example, I brought with me today, well I didn't bring it with me, I picked it off of the uh, bush outside. If you're in charge of the landscaping, I owe you a flower. I apologize. But I picked this flower off. Now a raccoon may walk up to this flower and sniff it. A raccoon may ask if it's edible. A bee may search for pollen in it. But an animal will not, will not look at this the same way a human could. It will not look at it and say, man, that's gorgeous. Look at the color. Oh, that's wilting a little bit. We should fix that. It, it, won't, it won't rationalize. It won't sense aesthetic beauty. But a human will look at this and say, man, I should get a bunch of these and put them in a bouquet and give them to my, the one that I loved, right? No raccoon ever made a bouquet for its mate. Humans will sense that. But those that have eternal life have another dimension to even a flower. That a human may look at that and say it's beautiful. A human may study it and say petals and pistils and how does this work and, and, and how does it reproduce itself. We may study it. But someone that has a spiritual vitality or a spiritual life would look at this and say, man, that's gorgeous, but that was made by a creator. That's a spiritual truth. And if there's a creator who made this that intricate and that beautiful, what kind of immensities and beauties exist in him? And if he made this inanimate object beautiful, what will he do to his children? If this is this gorgeous when it blossoms, what would I be like if I blossomed and what beauties would he want to, to bring out of me? A, a, someone who has a spiritual reality could look at this and do what Jesus did. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. And what does Jesus use that to teach? God takes care of the lilies. Won't he take care of you? Here's what he's doing. There's a spiritual reality to the flower. That if God takes care of that, it should melt your anxiety away a bit. Now that doesn't exist for all humans who look at this and know there's not a creator God. Or oh, there is a creator God, but what does that mean for me? But if you have a spiritual reality, you can see something in the flower that someone who does not have eternal life does not see. And I could illustrate that a thousand times over. But the point is that when eternal life is being talked about, it's talking about the lights coming on spiritually and you being able to discern spiritual truth and you being able to not just sense it and pick up on it, but allow it to guide your life. That's different. That is what was needed from those that were martyred in years past, those that were thrown in jail for their faith. If this life is all that there is and that spiritual truth is not true, then live for this life. Protect it. Don't, don't be martyred for your faith. But if this life is not all there is and that truth has grasped you and you're living by it, 
all of a sudden there may be, although you don't want to be martyred, but there may be a willingness to because there is a spiritual truth. The light has come on, and it guides you in a different way. It informs your life in a very, very practical way. So part of eternal life is the spiritual lights come on. Part of eternal life is longevity of life. And I won't spend long on this, but it does speak to the reality when it says eternal or everlasting sometimes is the word it will use, that when Christians talk about there is an afterlife or there is more than this life or our soul will live forever, those sorts of truths that are contained in the Bible teach the reality of eternal life, that what's being offered is everlasting, but the life part is really important. Because everlasting or forever or longevity being pushed out without quality would be really miserable. Think about your worst day that you've had in the past five years. Maybe physically it was your worst day. Maybe emotionally it was your worst day. But it was a dark, rough day. You want to put that on repeat for forever? I don't. Completely unappealing to take forever all of my doubts and all of my struggles and all of my fears and all of my pain and all of my sickness and to just carry that for forever? Yeah, don't sign me up for that. But when it says eternal life, that word life is important. Now, we really have one word for life. The Greeks had two. They had bios and, and zoe. Bios is where we get biology from. Zoe speaks to quality of life. What the word being used here in every instance, you see life these five times in John, is quality of life. Now, we intimate at this, but we don't expressly say it. So, for example, my uh, six-year-old daughter, a few weeks ago, we had a family day, and we went out, and we had some fun, and we ate some food, and it was, it was right before uh, school kicked off. It was kind of our last summer celebration before school kicked off. And so we we're done with the day, and we're walking upstairs to her room, and she says to me, this is the life. <laughs> I looked at her and I said, where did you learn that? Like, where did it, well, I can't believe this phrase. I know what you're saying, but where did this phrase come from? And she said, oh, some, you know, show that she was watching on Disney or something, you know, said it to her and, and she learned this is the life, right? And I knew what she was saying. She was saying the quality of life's good right now. I could do that day again, right? Now, contrary to that, if your friend gets, uh, maybe an extra assignment at work and their workload increases and their stress level goes up, you may look at them and as a loving friend say, look, that's life. Now, Willow said this is the life. And you said, that's life. But you meant two different things, right? Same word, different meanings. You meant quality of life good, you meant quality of life bad. The Greeks actually broke down different words. Now, we only have one English word, so we just say life. But they're using a word where they're saying, this is the life, quality of life, eternal quality of life is what is being offered here, and this is different. This is where you start to center the conversation around heaven. The biblical truth that this life is not all there is, and there is a heaven to come, and that heaven is not just continuing on with all of our problems, but there is the death of death, and sickness and pain and disease are gone, and tears are wiped away, and there is a quality of life that goes on for forever. And so when this says that there is eternal life that is being offered, it's talking about something wonderful. I like the way that Johnny Erickson Tata put it. Johnny Erickson Tata, if you don't know her, many of you would, was a 17-year-old girl who dove into a shallow lake and broke her neck and uh, paralyzed herself. 
And she really became famous for her art because in her teens and then 20s, she learned to paint with her mouth. And she has some amazing drawings and some amazing paintings. But as the years have gone on, she has become, uh, she's a vocalist and has some albums that are out. She's an author. She's a speaker. I got to hear her two weeks ago live, and it was utterly amazing to hear this woman talk about the pain that she endures on a daily basis and how the Lord Jesus and the fellowship with him is sweet and how it pushes her through. But the reason I, I bring her up is because she wrote a children's book on heaven, and she entitled the book, The Super Amazing Fantastic Forever Party. And I thought, you know what? Johnny is getting at what eternal life really is. When it's talking about longevity and when it's talking about quality, you really could, in a way, say what's being offered when you say eternal life is the super amazing, fantastic forever party. That gets at the joy and the smile that it should produce when you're talking about eternal life, when you're talking about heaven. Parties are these places where we're going to go and experience some amazing events and be around some amazing people. And the truth of heaven is there's an invitation where the events are more amazing than you could imagine and the people, namely the Lord Jesus, are more amazing than you could imagine and you want to be there. You want to be a part of the super amazing, fantastic forever party. So what is eternal life? Well, part of it is, one side of the coin, is that in the here and now, there is the, the lights coming on and spiritual realities that are true to you. But the other side of the coin is that there's a future manifestation of this and that there is a heaven and that there actually is this forever party that's being offered that you can partake in. And you have to understand that. Some now, some later, both of them. It's not that you have part of eternal life now and part of eternal life later, but there is eternal life that's offered and that grows. And we can get this. We get this just from our children. Today is uh, my son, Deacons, my, my youngest son. It is his birthday. He turns three years old today. That's little Deacon from uh, last October. And he basically looks the same. I don't think he's grown at all this year. Uh, <clears throat> but he, he looks the same. And uh, people have asked us, and even our kids asked us, what are you going to do for Deacon's you know, birthday? And we're like, we're going to, we're going to church. And it just so happens it's friend day. So Deacon thinks today, if you see him in the hallway, he thinks today is his party and all of you are here for his birthday party. <laughs> he thinks the food trucks are for him and the bounce houses are for him and the, and the pony rides are for him. And we're not telling him different. He's every, every person he saw this morning as we walked in, he walked by this you know, little three-year-old just waddling down the hall. It's my birthday. It's my birthday. It's my birthday. So welcome to Deacon's birthday party. That's why we're here. Deacon's three. Deacon is a human life. There's no debate about it. And he's not partially human. He has full human life. But there are realities of human life that Deacon has yet to experience, that he will in time. He knows nothing of putting in a long, hard day or week or month or year of work and then stepping back and admiring the work of your hands or your brain or the book that got published, admiring that and how humanizing it is to work hard and see the fruit of your labor. I know something about that, but he doesn't. Deacon does not yet know anything about the joy that comes from sacrificially giving and blessing other people. That when Jesus said it was more blessed to give than to receive, he was right. And we just, as, as humans, we know something about this. 
that there are times where we sacrifice and we invest of ourselves or our resources for other people or for our cause, and then we see what it brings, we see the joy that it brings them, and we think to ourselves in so many words, it would have been a loss to keep that, but it was a gain to lose it. I'm glad that I gave it. I'm glad I produced joy in you by my sacrifice. He doesn't know anything about that, really, at three. But he will eventually. He'll understand, and his humanity will flourish more in due time, right? When this says that you're offered eternal life, or eternal life can be had, it means that there is something now. There is a spiritual dimension now. There is hope now for the future, but there will be a manifestation in a greater way in the future in that really we possess eternal life today, but it's in its infancy, and it will only grow as time goes on. That's eternal life. That's something that I look at and I say, if that's true, I want that. I want the spiritual lights on. I want the amazing, awesome, super fantastic forever party. I want that. So the question is, how do you get it? And thankfully, this text is so clear. It says two things on how you get this. Number one, it says this in verse 11. Read it with me. This is the record. That God hath, and tell me what the next word is. What's the next word? Given. Some of you said life. <laughs> Different word from last time. God has given to us eternal life. Now that's important. Eternal life, what it's saying, is a gift. It's not something that you earn. It's not something, eternal life, okay. How high do I have to jump? How far do I have to run? What do I have to do? No, no, no. It's a gift. God has given, not I have earned and God owes. Not I've done my part and I am due. No, no, no. It is a gift. You can't earn it. You can't work your way towards it. If you think that you can earn it or work towards it, you've missed it. The gift comes via the grace of God alone. That's what makes God's grace so amazing is that he's giving it freely of himself out of out of the abundance of, of his resources and at cost to himself he's giving it graciously and it is received by faith alone this is why the text centers so much on jesus this is why paul would write in romans 6 as clear as it possibly could be this is the gift of god what's the gift of god eternal life how's it come even through jesus christ our lord the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. And it takes a little bit of humility to receive the gift, I must admit. Some gifts require humility. I saw an ad recently for parents to, it was for like an orthodontist or something, to give their children um, the greatest gift, a great smile, something to that tune. Give your child a great smile. Now, if you want to give your child a great smile via Bob Orthodontist, you have to admit, I don't have a great smile right now, right? <laughs> Those two things go hand in hand. You have to be willing to say, my teeth aren't as straight as they could be or as white as they could be or as healthy as they could be, and it could get better. There's humility required to get that gift, even though you have to pay for it. It's not really a gift. If you find someone that's giving it away for free, let me know. Text me. I'd love to know. Salvation's that way. Eternal life is that way. It's a gift, but it requires some humility to receive it. You have to admit, I don't got it, and I need it. 
you have to admit, I'm not going to get it myself. I'm not going to somehow create this gift on my own and bestow it upon myself. I'm not going to get it through my inheritance or a legacy. It doesn't come that way. It comes via a gift, and it comes via Jesus Christ. Now this, read it with me again, because you can't miss this. If you miss this, you miss it all. Verse number 11. This is the record that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. If that's not clear enough, verse 12. He that has the Son has life. He that does not have the Son does not have life. Verse 13, if those two weren't clear enough, these things have I written unto you, the people that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. You can only know that you have eternal life if you've believed on the name of the Son of God. What is it saying? It's saying what the Bible says cover to cover, that eternal life only comes through Jesus. You can't get it anywhere else. I know that's exclusive. I know a lot of people think that that's mean-spirited or that you can't say that in this day and age, but it's the truth of what it says. It's only through Jesus. And this isn't a one-off, okay? John didn't just make something up that when you read the Bible, you come to this spot, and you're like, huh, that seems weird. Not at all. It's all through it. Even Jesus himself. He said this over and over and over again. What did Jesus tell Nicodemus, the religious leader who was put together, buttoned up, very moral, and came to him and said, Jesus, more or less, the spiritual lights haven't come on, and I'm trying to get it, man, but I'm, I'm struggling here. Can you teach me? Can you help me? And Jesus said to him, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but should have what? Everlasting life. At the end of the conversation, Jesus doubled down on that idea, and he said, He that believeth on the Son has everlasting life, but he that believeth not on the Son shall not see life. Remember when Lazarus was raised from the dead? He said, no, I wasn't there. I know, neither was I. Remember the story? What did Jesus say right after that? Because their, their jaw hit the floor. What did Jesus say? I am the resurrection and I am the life. What did Jesus tell his disciples right after he taught them about heaven in John 14? He teaches them about heaven, that it's real, that it's an amazing place. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it was a lie, if it weren't so, I would have told you. But I'm going there. I'm preparing a place. You can be there too. Heaven's real. It's awesome. And then he says to them, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I'm the life. I'm not just some prophet pointing to life. I am the life. What did Jesus pray? Right before his crucifixion, we have a record of his prayer. He goes to the Father moments, literally, before he's going to die. And he begins to pray, and he says, Father, the hour's come. The time has come. This is what we've been waiting for. So glorify your Son, and your Son may glorify you also, as you have given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say Jesus taught this and John echoed it. And the record is clear and consistent. The only way to have eternal life is to receive it as a gift by putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the only way. Last question. How can we be confident that we have it? Okay, pastor. I want that. I'm even willing to put my faith in Jesus. But it's not like I'm going to have a certificate that says I have eternal life. How, how, can I, how can I know? 
How can I know that it comes? Well, there's a subjective truth to that, that you'll know that something will happen on the inside. A lot of some things will happen on the inside. But there's an objective truth to this that the text gives us. And here it is, verse number 11. This is the, now I'm going to ask you for the word again. You're going to have to participate. Verse number 11. This is the, don't say life, this is the what? The record. This is the record. What do you mean record? I'll put it this way. For the last 12 years, I have filed my taxes as married filing jointly. If I got audited, they would want to check a lot of things, including that I was, in fact, married and could file jointly with this Magdalene person. We call her Maggie, but her name's Magdalene. If, um, If I got audited, I'm not sure how that goes. I don't know if they send you a letter or if they Zoom you, if they knock on your door. But let's say someone knocks on my door. They said, hey, we're going to audit you, and uh, we, need to, we need to check this out. You say you're married to Maggie. Who's this Maggie? Said, oh, she's right there in the kitchen. I said, there she is. They say, who cares? You, that could be an actress. That could be your neighbor. I don't, I don't know that you're married to that woman. That's just Maggie Schmaggy. You know, who, who is she? Oh, no, she's not an actress. Okay, I got a picture right here. This will show you. Like, here's her in the hospital bed uh, with our son, you know, bringing him into this world like nine years ago. And there I am next to her. Look, she's not a rando. Like, we do this a lot. We're together. Okay. You, admittedly, I know, <laughs> I know you're playing this out in your head. This is exactly how it goes when the IRS shows up, okay? Bear with me. We're getting somewhere. Here she is. They would say, okay, that doesn't prove you're married. It proves that you've been together. It proves that you're friends. It proves that it's been a long time. It proves that you're lovers, maybe. But this doesn't, this doesn't prove that you're married to each other. Okay, I, let me tell you the story. I know where we're at. I, I can tell you that the, the lilies that were there in, in the ceremony were in Chico, California, and she came down the aisle, and they would tell me your stories and your memories don't count. They don't cut it. And here's what I would have to do. I would have to say, okay, I, I, I know. I know. I got a record upstairs, and I'll have to go upstairs where I keep the papers, and I'll have to pull out the marriage license, the record, and I would bring it to them and say, look, and if you don't trust my record and you think I made it up, then you can go to the County of Butte Courthouse in Northern California, and they'll have the same record, and this says that Mark Likens got to marry Magdalene Rule on August the 13th, the 20th, I almost forgot my anniversary. On Friday the 13th, Friday, August the 13th of 2010, it will say that here is the record, right? And I can say with that record to the IRS agent, be gone, you knaves, right? I have a record. I'm married. Here's what this is saying. You have eternal life. How do I know that I have eternal life? You've got a record. Your memories are great, but you may get dementia one day. Your stories are fantastic, but how do I know that your story is any more true than someone else's story? That's kind of subjective. What do I have? I have a record that says, if you put your faith in the Lord Jesus, that he gives as a gift eternal life. And this is not my record. I didn't notarize it. I didn't write it. I just hold it. God wrote it, and it's true. This is the record that there is eternal life in Jesus. But the second way, and the last way, that you know that you have eternal life is not just because of the record, but it's because of the Redeemer. 
because of Jesus. This is what verse 13 says. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that you have eternal life. Let that word sink in. Not that you can hope that you have eternal life. Not so that you can wish that you have eternal life. Not so that you can, I'm working at it. Do you have eternal life? I think so. I hope so. Maybe I'm halfway there. Uh Uh-uh. This is the record. Those that believe on Jesus, you can know that you have eternal life. Everything hinges on your belief on Jesus. You say, okay, I'm here. My friend invited me. I'm here for the food trucks. I'm listening to you. But who's to say that I should believe on Jesus any more than anybody else? Muhammad said some stuff. Buddha said some stuff. Confucius said some stuff. Why should I believe on Jesus and what he said any more than I should believe on anybody else? Well, really it all boils down to, is what Jesus said about himself true? And you have to wrestle that question out for yourself. But if Jesus is who he said he was, if Jesus is who the apostles said he was, you better believe him. Just imagine for a moment that someone existed before they were born. And when they were born, it was via a miracle. And after they were born, they they walked the earth for 30 years, and they were a showstopper. They said things that people have never, not only thought of, but never even thought to think of. The wisdom was amazing, so much so that 2,000 years later, people still marvel at it. That that person did things that were undescribable, miracles, healings, raising someone from the dead. He walked around constantly calling his own shot, constantly eight ball, corner pocket. Judas will betray me. Peter, you'll run from me. You'll deny me. I will raise again after I'm dead. Three days later, I will raise from the dead. Calling his own shot, the things that were revelatory in news flashes for everyone else were history to him. And after he dies, he cancels his own funeral. And the people that come with flowers to put on the grave, he says, take your flowers home and put them in a vase and put them on the kitchen table and have some joy because I'm alive like I said I would be. If that person exists, you better believe what he said. Now, if that person doesn't exist and you don't believe any of that, well, then don't believe on the name of the Lord Jesus. You can't. But that's who you're talking about when you're talking about Jesus. You're not talking about another teacher, another leader, another philosopher, another person who's giving you moral homespun wisdom. It is a different category. He is either crazy or he's lying through his teeth or he is in fact the Lord of the universe that you should bank everything on. There's no in between. I had to wrestle that out in my own life and come to the point where I said he's Lord of the universe. I bank everything on him. And he says if you will do the same and you'll believe on him then you will have eternal life. Now, last note, and I'm done. There is a difference between believing in and believing on. And this is so important. Don't miss this. Believing in something and believing on something are not the same. And there are many people who profess to be Christian because they went to church and they were baptized and they learned some Bible verses and they've heard some sermons and taken some masses 
and they believe in Jesus. They believe that Jesus was real, that he walked the earth. They believe that Jesus did miracles. They believe that Jesus maybe even rose from the dead. They believe that, that Jesus uh, was a savior, was God in the flesh. And all those things are good. But there's a difference between believing in Jesus as this external distant figure and believing on Jesus and putting your faith and your trust in him. My mamma, that's a country grandma, but my mamma, she believes in airplanes. She doesn't think they're a figment of anyone's imagination. She believes they're real, that they exist, that they transport people safely. She believes in them, but she will not believe on an airplane. She never has, and she never will. She's almost 85 now. I don't think she's going to do it anytime soon. She will not trust her life to that plane or that pilot, even though she believes in it. And that's the difference. Believing in Jesus, great, two thumbs up, but it's not enough. Believe on Jesus. I am putting myself on the plane. I am trusting myself to you. I am trusting my eternity to you. I am trusting my life to you. I am putting it in your hands, and all the weight rests on you, not on me, and not on my good works, and not on my pedigree, and not on my baptism, and not on the mass that I took, and not on the church attendance, and not on any of that. It rests on Jesus and Jesus alone. And if you have never crossed that line of division between believing in and believing on, then I tell you today, go across that line and believe on the name of the Lord Jesus, and he will give to you as a gift eternal life. And you want eternal life. Let's take a moment and let's pray together. Father, it's with hearts of gratitude and praise that we come to you, remembering the truth of your word, but also celebrating it. And Lord, right now, as we take two minutes and we respond to the sermon, at least we try to, would you help us? We don't want this just to be a lecture that we hear and tuck in the back of our head with no application. We want this to be something that we respond to. So would you move us today, we pray. I want you to remain just in a spirit of prayer for a moment, just with your heads bowed. And if you have believed on the name of the Lord Jesus, I want to ask you if you would be so bold as to just in the quietness of this moment, just to slip up your hand and say, that's me, that's my testimony. I've believed on the name of the Lord Jesus. If you've done that, would you raise your hand and just say, hey, that's me, I've been there, I've done that. Well, if that's you, then you go ahead right now and you thank the Lord, thank Him for saving you, thank Him for giving you eternal life, thank Him for the record of His Word. But if you're in the room and you can't honestly raise your hand and say, I believed on, on the Lord Jesus, I hope that today's your day and that you do. I really do. Hey, Pastor, are you, are you trying to convert me? Yep. I am. I want you to put your faith and trust in Jesus. What a fellowship and what a joy divine it is to know him and to know that you have eternal life. And if you've never done that, then right now in this moment, would you? Would you consider calling out and praying to Jesus and saying, Jesus, right now I'm believing on you. If you'd like to put your faith in him and on him, then I'm going to encourage you to pray with me this prayer, just in the quietness of your heart. Just pray it internally to him, but pray something like this. 
if you would like to see, receive his gift of eternal life. Just say, Jesus, today I put my belief on you. I'm trusting in you. I'm resting in you. I cannot give myself eternal life, Jesus. And I'm asking you to give me the gift. I'm not trusting in my works. I'm not trusting in other gods. But it is you and you alone. I want you to give me eternal life. My friend, it doesn't have to be exactly those words or that prayer. That's not a script. But if you will pray something of that effect to Jesus and put your faith in him, he says that he will give you eternal life. And you can celebrate that. I'd be curious to know, Christians around you are praying, I don't want them to be looking around, but if you just now in that moment prayed that prayer with me, and you would say, I'm, I crossed the line today. I went from believing in Jesus to believing on Jesus. Would you be kind enough just to slip up your hand and say, that's me, that's my testimony. I just prayed with you right now. That you just put your hand up and I want to know that that's you. Just me and you. I just want to be able to pray for you and understand that you took that step today and you put your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus. I see a couple. Are there a couple more? If you would just real quick, just lift it up big. I just want to see you and pray for you real quick. Thank you, and thank you, and thank you, and thank you. Let me pray for you right now. Father, I remember what it was like for me as a middle schooler to hear the truth of eternal life and to respond to it and to put my faith and trust in you. And what, a, what an amazing day that was. What an amazing decision that was. And Lord, right now I pray that for every person who is responding to you, is putting their belief in you, that you would help me as a pastor and even us as a church to come alongside and to help and to encourage and to be a blessing to them. And Lord, every single Christian in this room, may it be our heart's cry that we want to live for you today and we want to live for you tomorrow and we want you to be Lord of our lives. Jesus, thank you for eternal life. Thank you for dying for our sins. Thank you for raising from the dead. And thank you for offering us that gift. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, I want to thank you for listening well and giving me your attention and your ear and your time. I want to let you know just a couple of real quick things. We're going to get out of here and, and uh, have some food and some festivities. Uh, first of all, if you are uh, not planning to stick around, that's okay. But we invite you to. Even if you don't know a lot of people, we'd love to get to know you. Uh, there is food. Uh, if you are like, man, I meant to bring my wallet. I forgot it at home. We do have in our cafeteria right next door some hamburgers and hot dogs and things like that that are available that you do not have to purchase. The food trucks will be available for purchase, but if, if you uh, want to go get that that's not for purchase, that is available to you. My biggest reminder to you would be please get your kids, if they're in children's ministry, before you go get food, okay? We love you and we love your kids, but we don't love you enough to watch them while you go eat for an hour, okay? So... Go get them and take them with you, and everybody will be happy. Uh, but in, enjoy the day. If there's a way that we as a church can be a blessing and you're visiting with us, we'd love to be. I'll be out by the front doors, and we'd love to meet you and, sh and shake your hand. But we're going to spend just a minute watching this announcement video, giving a couple things that are happening here at the church. As soon as this is done, you can be dismissed, and let's go have some fun, and let's eat some good food together.
Hi church, thanks for coming today. If this is your first time here, welcome. One of our pastors would love to meet you at the welcome desk after the service and we'd love to put a small gift in your hand. Now let's take a moment and see what's happening here at Harvest. Today is our annual friend day and we could not be more excited. The activities this afternoon will include bounce houses, pony rides, and our annual cornhole tournament, which starts at 1 p.m. We hope that you'll take this opportunity to fill out a connection card so that Harvest can be a blessing to your life. We hope that everyone enjoys the food, activities, and all the fellowship here that Harvest has to offer. Our annual missions month is coming up in October and we'll be focusing on the categories of internal, regional, national, and global missions and emphasizing a different aspect each week. You won't wanna miss these special services. Mark your calendars. On October 13th, there will be a fall fundraiser event for the Life Choices Organization. Come out and join us for a night of fellowship and good food and hear from the amazing keynote speaker, Kelly Lester. You can register online at lifechoicesfundraiser.com forward slash fall banquet. We hope to see you there. Thanks for spending time with us today. Remember to follow us on social media so you can stay connected with what's happening here at Harvest throughout the week. Until next time, have a great week.